It's good to be in the house of God again. We're going to be reading this morning from the book of Ezekiel. If you want to turn to me, with me please, the book of Ezekiel, Old Testament prophet. Go to Isaiah. After Isaiah, there's Jeremiah, Lamentations, and Ezekiel if you need help. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, and then Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter um, 36 this morning. We all like a new beginning in life, don't we? And we often need a new beginning in life. Perhaps every other day, if not every day, we need a new beginning. But God is a God who promises a new forgiven, a new beginning. Sorry, and this is quite a simple message in the sense where it's a reminder to the church, a reminder to you and I what God has done in us, for us. It's also a reminder this morning that you're not saved or you find yourself in a place you don't know where you are. You're somewhat lost. You've made many mistakes. Your life is broken. There's a trail of destruction that has followed you. And in Christ, there is a promise of a new beginning. And if you want any more reinforcement of that, I can testify personally to that, as I know many people within this room can testify to that new beginning that Christ gives them. So let us read together. Bear in mind, it's a promise of a new beginning for all who trust him, all who follow him. It's not just about a prayer one point in your life and you leave it there and leave us not it's a walk with God it's a following it's a leading of the Holy Spirit it's a pulling off of the old man and pulling on of the new man it's a walk with God but it's a new beginning so let us read together Ezekiel 36 and verse 25 just a few verses this morning to down to 32 so Ezekiel 36 and 26 listen to the lovely words it's the promise of God and I will give you a new heart a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I have given to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. So, Father, we thank you. In these few verses, there's so many promises with the word I in front of it. What you will do, what you are going to do, what you have done already. So, Lord, I pray over each of our hearts tonight, today, God, that you would, Lord, shed the light of the Holy Spirit upon it. That, Lord, we would be reminded of this great work found at Calvary. That, Lord, you at a time of, Lord, changed our lives Give us a new beginning, but Lord, we must follow that. And Lord, for those who are not yet saved, they're still living that old life of sin, that Lord, this would be the day that Lord, they would reach out and receive that promise of a new beginning. And we ask this in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Just a couple of announcements, uh, church, before we just get into our word this morning. I just want to remind you about uh, next Sunday night. Sorry, we're going to have Lisa Kernahan coming. Um, Lisa, have, she's ministered beside me before, and great ministry, great testimony of what God has done in her life, plus what she experienced um, in her life. She got involved just briefly in, in what's known as Recce Healing and other holistic treatments. And you know, what she would say is she, she started to experience a demonic in her life, in her home, and listen, all sorts of things um, happened that she never expected to happen. But out of it all, God did a great work 
in our life and has continued to do a great work in our life. So can I just encourage you at the outset now, just you can use this um, as an opportunity to invite your friends, your family, your loved ones, and your work colleagues. This is what we put these nights on for. It's to build and to grow. And I just pray that the Lord would give us each um, wisdom to um, invite people to that. Then in the backdrop of that, we're going to be meeting on Wednesday night um, at eight, from 8 to 9 as a church. Um, we really want to build into what we do. We want to make it meaningful. We want to make it purposeful. And we just really consider as the church comes together this night to pray, but we want to be really focused. Of course, we pray for whatever the Lord leads in our hearts and for each other. But we want to focus this uh, Wednesday night particularly on the Sunday evening. It just falls in place before it. We want to be praying for Lisa uh, herself and her ministry. But we also want to take this night to really focus, to pray people both into the church and into the kingdom of God. It's not, a, it's not something we're going to do. We're, we're going to come with a focus um, for those who are not yet saved, but even for our service and for our church. So it's going to have a bit of a focus that night. We're going to have a bit of um, worship and prayer. I said we're going to just a focus from, from straight on to what we're doing on these Sunday nights. So listen, can I encourage you just to come and just really seek God together um, on Wednesday night. Listen, that's all the announcements um, for that. So let us get into our word um, this morning, this promise of a new beginning. So our text this morning is, it's dealing with the promise of restoration. That's the, the outset, the context of it. Uh, this restoration is a future promise for the nation of Israel. Uh, this time they're in exile and they remain in such in many ways until a later date. But God is telling them at this, at this point that a time is coming that he is going to bring them back into the land of Israel. He's going to cause them to prosper. Then at the appointed time, if we read on through our text, we see that Israel is going to realize that Christ is indeed their Messiah. They're going to turn to him according to the scriptures. They're going to loathe their actions towards him and their sin. These promises are still yet to be fulfilled in part. They have been, but they're still yet to be fulfilled. But we know that Israel is going to be restored to faith as the chosen people of God. These are all promises found within Ezekiel. But an interesting point within this prophecy, which was written in the 6th century before Christ, is this, that in it God has said that he would bring Israel back to their land. Now this is an interesting, uh, because in 1948, after nearly 2,000 years of being scattered across the four corners of the world, we know that Israel was declared a nation again. She was restored by God. This is this prophecy in part being fulfilled. He also promised Israel that she would go into that desert land and it would begin to prosper and the, the land would be harvested. Indeed it has. Indeed it is. And Israel today is prospering. All is really left in part, in the bigger picture, is for the nation to turn to Christ. And we know from previous teachings, even as last week and before the holidays, that this is going to happen during the tribulation period. And this is a time where God says that he's going to put his spirit within them and restore them. You remember the 144,000 Jews, the eternal gospels preached. You remember that? This is all connected into this prophecy. And what God has promised to do for Israel, and this we want to bring it back to our context, he has promised to do for all who turn to him now. The church, not something. What he's promised to do for, for them, he's promised to do for you now in the church age. We're not Jewish, we're not Jews, we're Gentiles. And all who come to faith in Christ, there is this promise, listen, the promise of not a preacher, but the promise of God for restoration in your life. And I want to tell you today, 
And if you give your life to Christ, that he will take it and he will begin to restore it like a project. He will begin to rebuild the brokenness within your life. He will set you free from the burden of your sin. And your soul, according to the scriptures, will find rest. How's your soul today? Is it at peace? But we need to trust him. Not just one time. Every time. The ministry of Ezekiel was quite a hard calling. We used to say, I used to say, I'd love to be a prophet. I didn't really understand the ministry of a prophet. Very few people should want to be a prophet. Very lonely. Some of the messages they have to bring don't win friends. Ezekiel's ministry was one of judgment. Because of Israel's inability to obey God, get that, inability, judgment came her way many times. Do you notice that with Israel? One minute she's on fire for the Lord, the next minute a full circle, sin, destruction, idols, idolatry, on fire for God, and so it goes. And judgment came her way many times. And on the surface, here's a picture of mankind. Israel looked holy. She even dressed holy. And she acted holy. She did what we all do as people. We cover. But God was not fooled by her fig leaf covering. And therefore judgment stood at her door. Israel's constant conflict with God, church, is a reminder of our own wrestle with obedience with God, with ourselves. See, all the sin, all the struggle that we see between God and between Israel, we can see within our own hearts. We just need to look. Sometimes we don't even need to look. It's obvious. I want, you to, I want to highlight some truths before we break into the, the good parts, if you like. Israel was a nation under the law of God. If you're a Christian this morning, you're under the grace of God, the life-given spirit. We're not bound when we think of the law, we tend to think of the Ten Commandments. But according to the Talmud, including the Ten Commandments, there's 613 commandments in total. That's a lot. You think of one as a young child being told to clean your room. Add another 612. But of course, Israel was unable to live up to these commandments. And the truth is, um, Israel is never going to be able to live up to this standard set by God. They were always going to fail. They were always going to give in to their sinful nature. That's what we do when we try to please God outside of Christ. And the question then remained for me, why would God allow this? Is it not cruel to set this bar over somebody who can never really reach it? And the answer to that is, no, it's not cruel. Because God placed his law over Israel to show Israel her need of a saviour. That's why he did it. How else would they know? God placed this law so she could see that she was powerless to overcome her sin and live up to the law. But this lesson is not just for Israel. The Ten Commandments were given to show the world their need of a saviour. To show you this morning your need of a saviour and me. Because we, like Israel, we are unable, not unwilling, unable, to live up to the standard of God's law. The Bible says if you've ever stole, you're a thief. Interesting, isn't it? Has anybody here ever told a lie? Only lie. Put your hand up. There's about five honest liars in this room. Six. 
So we get the picture. The Bible says, if you ever told a lie, you're a liar. You ever stole a wee thing, you're a thief. You ever just one bad thought, you're a fornicator. And it just seems to get worse, this law. It just weighs you down. And that's what the law does. It breaks a man, breaks a woman who thinks they can live up to God's standard. It says, no, take a wee go at it. There you go. You want to try and please and live up to my standard? Have a go. But don't worry, church. It gets worse. James 2 says this. Whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. So you might be really, really holy at a lot of things. When you tell one wee fib, you broke them all. And this means that we all have sinned and broken God's law. And because we have broken God's law, judgment stands at our door. But don't fear, church, because it gets worse again. The penalty of sin is our soul is lost. Ezekiel 18 says, the soul that sins will surely die. So there we get a wee picture now of our helpless state before God. We're talking about the world now. This is to the world. This is our state before God. And we, like Israel, were unable to live up to God's law. But listen, there is a bit of good news. It does get somewhat better. Because in that wee context, we, we think of this, this, this one who came. And the Bible says that Christ came to save the powerless, to save the weak sinner. He came to die in our place. He came to take upon himself our sin, to, to take the wrath of God and place it upon his own shoulders on the cross for you and me. That's what we're saved from. What we cannot do, he has done for us. He come to, to, to die in our place that we could have life. A new beginning. Because sin destroys. And all who accept that they have sinned against God, there's the starting point of a new beginning. You haven't sinned against your friend or, 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 or your boss or your wife or husband. You have sinned against God. That's what the scriptures teach. I'm sure we have sinned against our friends and our bosses. But that's not the problem. It's so much bigger. And all who accept this, that they have sinned against God and come in repentance towards God through faith in Christ will receive a pardon. That's a lovely, wee simple message. And judgment then will no longer be stood at our door. And the person who comes to faith, they receive peace with God and fellowship with God's people. And a restoration begins to take place in the life of the old sinner. And then they begin to live for God and desire to glorify him with their life. Now, of course, this is all the work of God. And this is just a backdrop. This is all the work of God. And that's what I want to present to you today. It's all the work of God. Stop striving, start living and applying. So here we are, a promise of a new beginning for all who call upon Christ. There's a reminder here for all believers that we have been given a new a beginning. Remember that. Because sin will try and rob it from you. Your nature will try and steal it. But remember that in Christ you have been given a new beginning. Your past is your past and it's gone. But with this new beginning, believer, there's this responsibility to continue to walk in it. With the eternal gospel comes the promise of a new beginning. What we see is there's a new life, a new spirit. You see that in our text. There's a new heart. And Paul puts it a different way. He says, you're a new creation. Any man being Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. 
and the new has begun. And this is church where it starts to get better. We start to lift ourselves up in the truth of the word of God. We start to smile. As we were praying this morning, one of the men just prayed out that they thank God that we're free. We're free. With this new beginning, there's a new heart. And you know something? Here we go. Let's flow down it. There comes a new love. Some of you people who are not saved, it's a long time from you felt anything in your heart. It's hard and it's cold. It's indifferent. You see, in my own experience, sin hardens the heart. And you know, it makes a person indifferent, which means unresponsive to God and to the sin in their life. And you know, there's a, a survey has been done many years ago. And the older we get, the harder it is to come to faith because the harder our heart gets. If you're over 40 today, say, and you're not yet saved, the chances of you getting saved gets harder. 50, 60, 70, 80, right up hard. And one would think if you get to a certain age, you'd start to contemplate the reality of life and the gravity of it, but the survey suggests the complete opposite. Those on to their 20s come in their droves to faith because their hearts get soft, you see? And I wonder, I'm not saying that to, to, to annoy anybody. I'm saying that to hopefully break the hard heart of it's you this morning. You find yourself indifferent and unresponsive to the Scriptures. But what the Scriptures does teach, when we do come to faith, we receive a new heart. That's what the prophet said. And we begin to feel emotions again. You know, some people, when they come to faith, they begin to cry. Not out of sadness, but out of joy. For, for months, sometimes years, they start to cry. You see? Just burdens are lifted at Calvary. A lovely song. It was written out of a man's experience. We not only receive a new love from God, but we receive a new love for God. Isn't that America? The one that we used to hide from. Now we love him. As a sinner, I remember calling upon his name one night. I was lying on a place I shouldn't be lying. And I was being sick. I hardly get a breath. God, if you help me. If you help me, I'll give you my life. And he helped me and stepped back into the pub. That's the way of the transgressor. That's the hard heart, indifferent. It's not that I was stuck and thought I was about to die as a young man. Cried out. I wonder what an old man in the same position cry out. It was hard to too hard. Hard to too hard. The scripture says that when you come to faith, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. It's a miracle. Because on to say you love your neighbor as yourself. So not only do we get any love for God, church, we, we get a love for people. Now, that's the biggest miracle of it all. We get a love for people. Was it Mark Twain, was it said? The more we get to know people, the more I love my dog. <laughs> Wasn't it Mark Twain? Don't quote me that. I think it was Mark Twain. But this man's speaking truth. We get a new love for people. It's a miracle. You see, God that only begins to restore us from the inside, church. He restores us on the outside too. Now listen, this means broken down friendships, family fallouts, friendships with our children, our mother, our father. He begins to give us the love for people, even people who have wronged us. It's the work of God. He begins to give us the love for people. And the work of our restoration will at times hurt. 
It'll hurt. It's hard to, to forgive somebody who's wronged you, robbed you perhaps of childhood memories or whatever it is. It's, it's difficult. It's really hard. It's the work of God in us. And so we get a new love for God, a love for God's people and for people. And then we get a new love for life. And I love this. Sin causes not only us to loathe God, but we begin to loathe life. We're talking about before Christ now, remember this. But, but in Christ, what, what we see is that love enters our soul and we desire not only to live, but we start to desire to live for Christ. <laughs> Isn't that something? No longer desire to live and all of a sudden just want to live for him. Consider the words of Paul, who only a few years earlier, he hated both people in Christ. Yes, the saint, the apostle Paul that we revere, was a terrorist at best. Before he came to faith, he was a man who despised Christians and he both consented, consented and approved of their death. And when he came to faith, he received a new heart a new spirit and a new beginning. And he penned these words in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's gone. The old man's dead. There's a new beginning has taken place. Do you see that? It's no longer I, he says. A new beginning. But as Christ who now lives in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Listen, who loved me. You don't want to break your hard heart quicker than anything. Realizing that God loves you. When all else forsook you, God loves you. Even now, he loves you. And Paul himself received a new beginning, a new love for life, a new love for people. And so will all who come to faith in Christ. He also received new desires. Now get this, in Philippians 3.10, Paul again, that I, may, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection that I may share in his sufferings, become like him. Paul went from despising Christ to desiring to know him, to share in his sufferings and to become like him. There is the work of God in an old sinner. And is it not true, church, that all who have come to faith here this morning, we now desire to know him. We now desire to be like him. Not just as keen on the sufferings, but still, there's a desire to live for him. And with these new desires, the believer also receives new eyesight. We looked at this last week because we begin as Christians to look up and consider the return of Christ. And God willing, very shortly, we'll be breaking bread and we, we do that to remember, remember his coming again. Remember last week, the dead in Christ will rise first then we who are alive will be caught up together with him to meet the Lord and so we'll be with him forever. We start to get eyes to see Christ. And when a man or woman comes to faith, God begins a new work in them, restoring them. They receive a new love for God, for God's people. A new love for life, new desires, new eyes. And as one commentator wrote this, new company. I thought that was a nice way of putting it. The believer receives new company. In Christ, we first and foremost receive a new father. Now listen, for some, their earthly father has not been wonderful. And maybe not been at all. 
or perhaps being a good father. But I always put it back onto this. As a father myself, I fall well short of the standard. Try my best, try my utmost. But we are men, and not perfect. But we have a perfect father that we receive when we come to faith. Listen to the words of John. <clears throat> but to all who did receive him, all who come to faith, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God with a new father. With a new father, we also receive new friends, a new family. Matthew speaks about brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that's why, brethren, we're to love one another. That's why we're to, to choose to lay aside our wrongs, to, to lay aside our pride and say, do you know something? We're brothers and we're sisters in Christ. We're all we have on this earth as Christians. I have a great big family. Sadly, not many saved. You see, where did I go to, to get spiritual strength and encouragement when they don't understand? And that's what God is saying, your brothers, your sisters. And like any brother and sister, you'll kill each other at times. You understand? It's not always going to be easy. But we would never cast them out. We never want bad to happen to them. We receive also a new divine nature. And I love this because I experienced this perhaps the most in my own life. Our attitude to things change for the better. Our attitude changes for the better, doesn't it? Our ambitions in life, they go up, not down. It used to be the, the, the drink stain on a Sunday morning got into the bar was, was, was fashionable. Disgusting. But the way of the transgressor, that was life. You see? Ambitions go up, our responsibilities go up, our attitude changes. I'm no longer going to live like that. Give all my money to a barman only to throw me out at the end of the night. Foolish. And this is the way that God does in a sinner's life. He changes them, new ambitions. And we begin to strive to know Christ and his word. You know, isn't this work of God in the life of a sinner something else, church? Isn't it? Can you see this in your own heart, your own life? And here's one I want to press into just for a wee moment. With a new beginning comes a new tongue. And boy, can the tongue do a lot of harm. For many of us, swear words made up most of our sentences. Not for all of us, but for, for many of us, before we come to faith. And because God took away our swearing, we had to learn to speak proper words. And if you're like me this morning, you're still learning to speak proper words, and I do apologize. But that's the way it is, isn't it? A new person, person, a new beginning with a new tongue. But we must, church, protect this new divine nature that has been given to us, because it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Now, listen, the old nature will still try to raise its old ugly head every now and again. It does, <clears throat> but we have a new nature. And as believers, our tongue can be a gauge to how full or empty our spiritual tank is. The language we use can say a lot about the true state of our heart. And, and let us be mindful of how we speak. To be filled with the Holy Spirit will help us speak a lot different, respond a lot different. And we can bring, according to the scriptures, dishonor to 
the Lord by the words that flow from um, our mouth. Listen to the psalm, the psalmist in Psalm 19 and 14. He says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, God. And this, naturally, as I read this, led me to the topic of gossip. We're not going into the topic of gossip, but as I read it, I just thought of this. And you know, I asked myself an honest question. You did not say this, but I said this when I asked myself this. I answered, I said, you know, what's your thoughts on gossip? And the first thing I thought to myself is, it's hard to beat a good wee bit of gossip. Now, I know you wouldn't all agree with that. <clears throat> and rightly so. But there's something about a wee bit of gossip. It's like a big watermelon on a warm day in Spain. It's sometimes hard just to set it down. And my grandfather used to say to me, we all love a bit of gossip, as long as it's not about us. Now, there's the truth. I don't mind talking about your woman. But don't ever talk about me. And you know, when I got out of that stuff there that I said I wasn't going to share, and I did share, gossip, the reality of it is this, it can cause great harm to our testimony. Church, it can get us in a lot of trouble. And gossip can destroy a person. Gossip can destroy, destroy a marriage. It can destroy a home. It can even cause havoc in a church. And we are reminded that we have been given a new tongue, a new beginning, but we must exercise control over it. Now, there's a good proverb here, Proverb 26 and 20. Write this down. For lack of wood, the fire goes out. Isn't that the one? For lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is whispering, where, sorry, where there is no whispering, bickering ceases. Isn't it easy sometimes to throw a log on the fire? You see a wee situation starting to settle, and you say to yourself, ah, sure, I'll throw a couple of logs on here and walk on. And you look behind you, and there's a forest fire blazing your way on, skipping, and everybody else is killing each other. That's the power of, of words and this new tongue that the Lord has given us. Where there is bickering, you can be sure there's gossiping and one who has no control over their tongue. And we all fall into this category before we start judging anybody or thinking of ourselves or condemning. We're not, we're highlighting. We all have been suckered into this type of behavior, every one of us. And be careful of the test after this, because no doubt, when we're no longer home or down the road, we'll be in a bit of gossip. But here's the thing. As Christians, we've been given a new beginning. And there's a new responsibility that comes with it. A responsibility, church. The book of James has much to say about the tongue. It says, if you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Now, he'd be some crack in a meeting, wouldn't he? This is very strong words from the half-brother of Christ, by the way. One who denied his own brother. Didn't come to faith after, you know. Had his own carnal nature to fight with. We can believe ourselves to be godly, but according to James, if our tongue is unruly, we're simply kidding ourselves. The Pharisees did this. They thought they were holy because of Abraham, and everybody else was only scum. And Jesus says to them, listen, the words you speak come from your heart, and that's what really defiled you. See, in their minds they were holy, they were dressed holy, they acted holy, they looked holy, they spoke, no, they didn't speak holy, because what came out of their mouth showed their true state. We must maintain and protect our new tongue and take control over it. 
Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, James says. You know, it can be hard to listen. Sometimes it can be even harder not to speak. But we can give in to this temptation, but we must look for that way out in any temptation. Because choosing not to gossip is difficult at times, but simply walking off or stopping the person could both help you and them. Remember, with all temptation, God has placed a door for us to get out. If you're in the place of habitual sin today, pray for help and look for the way of escape because the Lord promises us that God is faithful, 1 Corinthians 10, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with all temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. Habitual, habitual sin can trap a man or a woman, but according to the word of God, there's a wee bit of hope. Look for the door. There's no way out. You mightn't see it, but it's there. Look for the way out. So I'm going to come to a close now because I just feel I've spoken right bit here already. So last wee bit, we've looked at in Christ, we received a new beginning, a new heart and a new spirit according to the prophet, a new love for God and people, a new love for life, new desires, new eyes, a new father, new friends, a new family. And here's I want to close with this one, a new belonging. We belong now to something bigger than ourselves. And it's local church. Local church was and is God's idea. It's unlike any other meeting place on earth. People from all walks of life, from very different backgrounds and experiences, all united together under Christ as one body. With the new beginning in Christ comes a new love for church. And I want to urge you to protect this in your life. And I want to be clear, thank God for this church and thank God for the numbers in this church. And before the Sunday school left, we were rightly full of church. So this is not a, a stick, this is an encouragement to you as believers in these days to, to protect us in your life. Local church is messy at times. It is messy at times. And how could it not be? Because we are all messy one way or another. We mightn't think we're difficult, but you speak to the right person, you might find out we're very difficult. We, 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 we mightn't think we're messy, but we're messy. We are all needy in one way or another. But it's the place that God has ordained for his children to find friendship, encouragement, instruction and help, and many other benefits. And I just want to say, you know, thank God we've seen lots of new faces coming in I want to just encourage you to consider like new people come into your house, how we treat people when we bring people into our home. So just be mindful to go out of your way to make people feel welcome. I know it can be a wee bit difficult at times, but introduce yourself. Perhaps you've even been here for years and you don't know many. Make yourselves known to other people. Speak with one another, welcome one another. Don't do what I've done for many years. Wait for others to speak to me. Get up and make the first move. You'll be blessed and they'll be blessed. The church is the space that God has set aside on earth for his children to, to grow and to serve and to make disciples for the kingdom until he returns. And that's why the local church is under attack. Because it's God's idea. God placed it, created it. In one sense, it's how the church never seemed to quit. Put a big bundle of people like this in the room. It's a wonder it's not a boxing match. Isn't that right? But yet there's 
There's something divine in it. There's grace in it. There's, there's understanding. Yes, I might, they're different, but I'm also different. Think of the words of, of David. Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. See, the church is our refuge. The meeting of God's people made Mary the heart of a king. He found strength and encouragement and restoration in the house of God. As a king, he found this in, in God's house. It just highlights that materialism is nice, but it will never, ever satisfy our store. So believers, make sure our meeting together is high up on our things-to-do list. We have a love for the church. And with this love for the church comes a love for the word. Be mindful to set some time aside to open your Bible. Snack on it. Snack on it. I'm not going to try and be foolish to say feast on it. It can be hard at times, but there's loads of different easy chapters, easy books. Book of James, very, very simple. Gospels of Matthew, just read them as they are about Jesus himself. God incarnate. Read the simple stuff. Stay away from the big stuff. Leave that to other people. But, but snack in his word. Psalm 119 says, I have stored up your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin. And here's the deception. There are many people today who believe they are saved. Maybe they are saved. God knows. Many denominations have fallen to weak and liberal theology. Why? Do they try to justify sin as normal? I'll tell you why. The word of God is not in their hearts. It's quite simple. You, you speak to some of these people dressed in their robes with a white collar, justifying some of the most ungodly things on this planet. You speak a wee bit deeper into their theology, into the scriptures, they could hardly quote a verse. You think my nature doesn't want to give in to all these things. But the word of God says it's nonsense, it's wrong, it's, it's not how we be. The word of God is not in them. So protect your gathering, church. Protect your heart. We do this by lifting up the, the sword of the spirit, the Bible. Because it cuts down lies, you know. When we think a lie is the truth, it says, no, it's not. It helps us. It cuts down the nonsense. Amen. We're finished. Amen. I'm just stopping myself. There's more, but we're finished. <laughs> We'll ask the team to come, please. Um, I trust that was something for us this morning. Quite, quite a light approach. But sometimes just to be reminded of them, what God has done and doing in our lives. It's wonderful because it's his work. It's his work. Praise the Lord. We're just going to prepare our hearts to come around the table. But... <clears throat> give an opportunity this morning maybe what I've spoken about this morning makes absolutely no sense to you, you haven't experienced this new beginning, this new birth in Christ <clears throat> I'm not going to do an appeal this morning, I'm just going to urge you this morning perhaps you have come to faith many years ago but you've realised that you haven't been exactly walking after him, your Bible's been closed, your word's not in you you no longer say, I, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of God. It's, you know, these things happen. But I want to remind you that this is the work of God in us. 
don't strive to get. We say, God, I acknowledge my sin, my waywardness. I acknowledge my heart. I acknowledge my life is not where it ought to be. You're not saved. You acknowledge, Lord, I'm not saved. I acknowledge I've sinned against God. You see, it's as simple as that. It was a new beginning. And as the Spirit of God moves through us this morning, I believe he is. He's blessing us this morning with his presence. But if you haven't experienced this new beginning, this new life found in Christ, maybe your life's full and yet you're empty. These sort of things. I want to invite you today just to simply come to faith. To allow God to come into your life and to lift that sin, lift that burden from your soul and put a spirit within you. And take away your uncleanness because there is the greatest miracle. That a sinner can feel clean. Give you a new heart, a new spirit, and fill you with divine love and break your hard heart because life has got many curveballs. And these curveballs, every time they hit us, there's another layer that goes on our hearts. It's hard and thick, unresponsive. Like I pray this morning that the heart will be broke. Give you a new beginning, a new life. And here's one scripture for us. Maybe Christian just be praying this morning as I just read this. John 10, 10. Maybe you're online this morning and you're trying to reach out and find the Lord. I want to just give you a very simple instruction. Jesus said this. He said, I am the gate. If anyone enters through me, not a priest, not a preacher, not through any other way, but if any man enters through Christ, he will be saved. He will come in and out and find pasture. There's restoration for you. Then he goes on to highlight our problem. He says, A thief who Satan comes only to steal, and kill, and destroy your life. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Have it to the full. Then he just says this, because I'm the good shepherd. Jesus is a gateway to this new beginning for all of us this morning. To be saved is to be at peace with God. And with this peace is all the promises of this new. But the question is, and I'll leave it with you, will you enter in through that gate today? Will you give your life, come to faith, and accept that you've sinned against God? And accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. So Father, we thank you for your word this morning. How has encouraged our spirits. Lord, how has lifted us up to be reminded that, yes, we're so low in sin. Lord, it just gets worse and worse and worse. The more we try to, Lord, live a life outside of Christ. But, Lord, when we come to Christ, judgment no longer stands at the door. We're given a new life, a new heart, and new eyes, new family, new ambitions. <laughs> oh, God, I pray this morning that we will all leave this assembly realizing that we are in Christ, we are new. Yesterday's doesn't matter. It's new. And for the soul that is still in this sin today, and there's no peace in it, it's raging. Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would, by the power of your spirit, Lord, bring them to their knees. Let them cry out onto the Savior and be saved. Lord, I pray for that longing soul this morning, God, that perhaps just spends this night crying in bed. God, that I would cry out this morning and receive this new hope, this new beginning in Christ, we pray. And Lord, as we come around to the Lord's table, Lord, may we be reminded of this new beginning, that Lord, we can come boldly to the throne room 
where we can break bread with the Savior, not because we are worthy, but because he's worthy. Not because we have overcome sin, but because he has overcome sin for us. And in him we get to stand. Glory to God. So Lord, let your people, let us all examine our hearts this morning as we gather around this wonderful table and rejoice for him who the Son sets free is free indeed. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm just going to ask the servers to come, please. We're going to just serve the ambulance. We're going to just break bread together and the team's just going to simply lead us in song um, thereafter. Maybe ask uh, Brian, would you come forward, Brian, please, and maybe just um, give the ambulance to um, the, the, the servers, please.